You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, we are talking to our guest this morning on Money Talk, uh, Monday morning regular Andrew Sullivan, founder of Asian Market Sense. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. And we are also joined today by Steve Bryce, who is the Global Chief Investment Officer at Standard Chartered Bank. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Gentlemen, um, you know, I feel like a week ago people were starting to make noises. They thought maybe there was a bull market on the way. I don't hear that talk anymore this morning. Um, Andrew, uh, why don't you kick off and tell us, I mean, are we, are we at the end of something or are we at the beginning of something? Uh, the end of something good or the beginning of something not so good? Well, I think the, the key thing really is the fact we're ending, ending the first half and people are looking forward to the second half. And a lot of the recent data has you know, increased the expectation of recession. Um, we know that a lot of the central banks want to continue being uh, tight policy as far as inflation is concerned. And, and there's been a worry that you know, with the American markets trading really on the back of eight stocks, uh, whether or not this can continue, especially with the overhang certainly in the U.S. of commercial property, and the slowness of the recovery in China. Steve, have the, uh, is this the beginning of the recession uh, birds finally coming home to roost that everybody's been predicting? Or I, I think it's maybe still a little bit further out. So um, we certainly expect the U.S. to head into recession, and I think obviously the inflation um, data and, and labor market data is going to be absolutely critical to that piece. Um, but we maybe still this, see this melt-up scenario continuing in the short term. I think inflation, we are expecting inflation to come down quite sharply in the second half of the year. So that might temporarily at least give people this idea that maybe we can avoid a recession. We think that's going to be, um, you know, it's not going to be uh, um, come to pass in the end. Um, but ultimately, that can still lead to equity markets having a good two to three months before we see the peak. Mm, I mean, uh, you know, I think everybody knows what we mean by a meltdown when everything goes to a uh, heck in a handbasket. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe, maybe you could explain a little bit what you mean by a melt-up situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we obviously started the year... And still today, uh, a lot of people are extremely bearish on the stock market. So this is the most predicted uh, recession, certainly in my career, um, that, we, that we've ever seen. So, you know, I think that's the, the, the markets are positioned largely for that to come, um, come through. Um, and actually, if you look at the, the change in positioning, um, I think that's quite important for us. So if you look at uh, retail flows, retail investors actually are still underweight um, equities generally. Um, but they are starting to add their, to their positions. So absent some really bad news coming through, we could still see some quite strong momentum uh, in the stock market before, as I say, before people then get optimistic and bullish. Uh, and I think that's when we probably get a little bit more cautious. Is there is there a disconnect coming between retail investors and institutional investors? I mean, the I mean we've you know we've had profit taking in the past. We, I'm, I'm assuming it's profit taking because I mean stocks are otherwise still seem to be quite quite good, but retail investors often late to the game. Will they will they maybe sustain the rally a bit longer than it should have? Um, I, I think it, it, they still can because, as I say, they're not overweight. I mean, if you look at institutional investors, generally they're not overweight either, right? You have seen a drop in volatility, so the risk-based investors are still, you know, were until you know, the last week at least, adding to the market. So that might lead to a bit of a pause there. Mm. Um, but overall, I don't see any major issues from the retail side. Andrew, uh, do you see this kind of support in the market, and, and is it is it global or is it you know different in different markets? 
Well, I think it's always going to be different in different markets. But sure. I think, as, as Steve was saying, I mean, the retail investors have, have been underweight. But they, they've also seen, you know, the bond market improve and, uh, you know, the, the necessity to diversify their... and, and the, the worth of diversifying their portfolios, uh, you know, by sticking money into, into money funds that are, are now yielding, you know, 35 4%, uh, which is obviously... You know, one reason to be underweight equities is if you can get a safe return of four percent with uh, in the bond in those sort of uh, treasury markets. Mm. Okay, and I mean, do either of you have a sense that maybe uh, are, are markets overvalued right now? I mean, when we look to price to earnings ratio, not not crazy. I think you, you know, the trouble is that you know it's easy to generalise and look at markets as a whole. I think you know there are a number of stocks that have uh, you know the valuations are probably more stretched than others, mm-hmm. uh, and there are still you know good opportunities in, in in certain markets. But you know there's always risk concerns. Yep, Steve, you've yeah, got a global I mean, look. Just, uh, yeah, yeah, just to add on that. I mean, uh, I guess Andrew alluded to it to start saying that the, the very few stocks have been driving this rally. So I think the key question for everybody is. Um, is this a worrying signal, i.e. those eight stocks are overvalued and then we then could retrace lower, or do we see the, the recovery broaden out? And I think that from our senses, in the short term at least, um, we believe that the market can broaden out and that, that can support them support uh, valuations in the coming few weeks. Yeah, look, looking at valuations, I picked up on kind of an interesting number. UK stocks uh, were trading at price-to-earnings ratios of 106 so far this year, compared to almost double that for the U.S., I mean, does it? I, mean, I know Britain's in a bit of a rough patch right now, but does it suggest there might be some value there? I think, you know, from our perspective, you know, it's certainly not a favoured market for us in, in, you know, on a shorter term time horizon. I guess if you're a long long term investor, those sort of valuations, and you have to assume that the the challenges that the UK is going through at the moment, at least at the, the extreme challenges they're facing now are going to dissipate over time. So if you've got a three to five year time horizon, this is probably a great buying opportunity. But uh, in the short term, they really need to see that peak in inflation come through uh, and uh, policy become more supportive. Yeah, because the Bank of England doesn't look like they're holding back. Uh, (laughs) They're quite hawkish. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I think also the thing about the UK you know, stock market is very resource driven, and with the slowdown in China and the the uh, recovery in China petering out, the outlook for resources is less uh, less bullish than maybe you know the US, where you're seeing a lot of investment into that tech sector. And and as Steve was saying, I think you know with the mortgage rate going up in the US, you've got to remember that most of those. Uh, domestic mortgages are on 30 years so people aren't going to be so keen to move anymore and therefore you're going to get you know possibly more you know home diy home improvement type spending which will broaden things out a little so i mean that that's you you see that as doing better than say home building which is what you would expect more of if people were more mobile moving around yeah i mean the, the, the reality is that you know anybody that has done their mortgage over sort of the last uh, prior to the last 12 months is, is almost zero or very very low rates whereas now they're charging five percent so that's going to mean that the value of properties that people can buy uh it goes down and the, and also the fact that people are less inclined to move mm. steve price so you i mean have you, you've got a particular position or thought on um, particularly the american housing market which seems to have been fairly resilient yeah, I guess. I mean, obviously, a lot of focus on the commercial real estate market, particularly the office space, which is is very weak. And I think Oof. that's something, obviously, to keep an eye on as well. Um, but in terms of residential, much more um, constructive, actually. And, and partly, obviously, those fixed mortgage rates are, are important. Um, but you're right, the data over the past week or two on the housing side has been surprisingly positive. So I think that's 
something to keep an eye on, especially housing starts. If we start to see that pick up on a sustainable basis, uh, then obviously that's usually a good lead indicator of GDP. Um, but uh, for now, probably a little bit conservative on, on the housing market activity perspective uh, outside of the, you know, the, the improvements to current properties rather than uh, expansion of them. Yeah, well, you bring up the uh, the commercial real estate on in the Western world, primarily having so many troubles right now. I have friends that you know been visiting San Francisco. They come back and say the downtown area is just a dead zone. Um, but I mean, if we come over to this side of the world, over to China, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, uh, you know what's happening in the property sector there and how it's kind of the uh, not very hidden weak spot in the Chinese economy. Um, Steve, we haven't had you on the show. Well, I haven't been on the show with you before. Um, how are you feeling about Chinese property? Do you think that the central government, the provincial governments are going to be able to get a handle on what's happening there before it blows up? I think it's a really difficult. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult situation, right? And, and, and you know, we've seen you know, the, the challenges being created by the crackdown on excessive debt levels, and obviously that you know, that that couldn't go on forever. So something needs to happen. But I think that the the, the overhang that's left behind is incredibly challenging. Um, and obviously, if you can't, you know, we know that the local governments re- rely on. Um, land sales for financing. So if that segment is not doing well, then the question is about the, the, the finances of some of the local enti- local government entities. So I think it's, it's, it's still going to be a drag. It may be less than a drag than it was last year, um, but uh, it's going to be a, a continued drag on the Chinese economy, I think, going through the rest of this year. And I mean, when you, when you look at making investments in that sector, do you just, you know, a lot of them are, a lot of those property companies are listed on the, uh, the, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Do you avoid them or do you pile in and short sell the the <laughs> living daylights out of them. I, I think you probably take a pretty much a trading mentality uh, rather than anything. So, uh, you know, we're generally underweight real estate. So, um, you know, but, it, you know, there, there's obviously going to be very sharp moves up and down. Um, but, yeah, it's not. It's certainly not something we'd be adding on a core portfolio. Yeah. Andrew? Well, I think the key thing is that, you know, the focus is on completing developments uh, and that could leave us with a gap as far as new build goes. Um, But it's probably more of a problem, as as Steve was saying there, in in the lower tier cities where, you know, the private developers are under pressure uh, and the local governments are more reliant on those private developers. The the real problem is the government doesn't want to bail them out. And if it forces the SOE developers to bail them out, that's going to, you know, detract from the SOE developers' performance. So it's, in many respects, it's a no-win situation, whatever happens. Uh, And as Steve said earlier, it's the lack of confidence in the housing market market, which has you know, then meliated out to the rest of the economy, and, and consumers just aren't happy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, how, you know, so you guys, uh, we've got one of you, uh, Steve, you're in Singapore, Andrew, you're here in Hong Kong. What, what do you, do either of you have uh, perspectives on, on where the real estate markets are going in those two markets, just to break it a little more, little more real uh, to our listeners? Because I know Hong Kong commercial, I think, is, is quite weak at the moment. Uh, Singapore, I'm not sure. Do either one of you got a, got a take on what's happening in uh, Hong Kong versus the Merlion state? Well, for Hong Kong, I think you're right. I mean, the, the commercial sector is, is, is under pressure. You know, historically, we've seen a lot of the mainland companies coming in. But more recently, we've seen a lot of the sort of Western companies relocating, and a lot of them down to Singapore. But some of them out of central and down to Quarry Bay and other areas like that, leaving the central portfolios, you know, whilst they're fully occupied because, you know, maybe there's five or ten year leases, uh, the rents are certainly under pressure. 
Yeah, and Steve, you're you're down. You probably have a good sense of what's going on with the uh, the expat finance. Everybody moving to Singapore because I'm hearing a lot of HR departments that are responsible for managing expat packages. They're being told that you know people are coming in and saying, "Oh, guess what? My landlord just doubled my rent." Uh, <laughs> I mean, what's happening down there? Yeah, so uh, clearly it's been a, a, you know, a big boom in terms of uh, demand for residential real estate here, both uh, apartments and obviously landed properties as well. So we've seen a huge boom going, and, and, and I just, I guess the question is the sustainability of this. The government's obviously highlighting the number of properties that are going to be delivered, at least part apartments that are going to be delivered this year and next. So the the, the hope is that the, we'll, we'll see. Um, yields or rentals come down a bit and make it a bit more affordable. I think it's the signs of that starting to peak. Um, but my experience of living in Singapore, I've been here over 20 years, wow. is that rents go up real quick and it takes a, a long time for them to come back down as landlords mm. sort of anchor themselves to historic rents. So, um, yes, it looks like it may have peaked, but I think it's going to take a long time to get back to where we were. That sounds exactly like Hong Kong. You know, I was always quick to raise the rent, uh, happy to leave it empty for ages until they, you know, rather than rather than cut rents. Um, there's Between those two cities, I mean, is there also a sense that there's more flow of investments around the region where are you looking? I mean, Chinese automakers are moving EV production to Thailand. I mean, there's, there's a lot happening in the region. Um, we've got about a minute left. Do either of you want to pick a Southeast Asian market that you think has a lot of potential? Well, I think a lot of it's moving to Vietnam. Um, but you're seeing a lot of those, you know, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, Indonesia, all doing very well from, you know, the fact that China is out of favor and people are looking for a second alternative. Yeah. Okay. Steve, yeah. Southeast Asia? Yeah, I, I guess it's the, the, the China plus one strategy now. Um, so, yeah, those markets and India, I think, are also is one worth a mention. Starting to see a bit of uh, increased FDI going there as well. So it's going to be interesting how this geopolitical situation play, plays out. I mean, uh, we did lead the show uh, with a news piece about Amazon claiming they were going to be investing for $30 billion, $26 billion by 2030. I mean, a lot of Western companies have gone into India and been sorely disappointed after, you know, happy first couple of years and getting abused and after that you still you're still confident they can succeed in uh, india I, I think i think i think look it, it is a much more challenging environment so the obviously the bureaucracy and, and government does um, doesn't necessarily always do itself the best of favors um but i think they are um, improving the environment gradually over time so i think it will get easier uh, to do business in india and i think companies that get there early will will benefit from that all right. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for uh, Steve Bryce, uh, Global Chief Investment Officer.